I wonder if anyone can guess what movie I had to watch this afternoon. If you can't, then you probably weren't here this morning. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 that it's appointed unto man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. We understand that man is going to die, and we also understand that there's going to be a judgment. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 30, In the time of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He's appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof he, that he giveth assurance unto all men that He hath raised Him from the dead. There's a lot of things about death, the judgment, and the hereafter that I do not understand. And I'm sure that there are many here that don't understand all of those things. It's hard for me to comprehend a judgment where billions and gazillions of people are going to be judged. But I believe that that's going to take place. God is capable of doing everything that He has said that He could do. When we look at this universe and we see that He created it, then we realize that He's very powerful. And we see that demonstrated in many areas of the Old Testament and in the New Testament when He raised Jesus from the dead. Death is something that we don't like to have or experience in our lives because we understand what it means and we look at it from our side. But I think that we can look at it in another way that it is a blessing. That is something that God has given us or told us is going to happen. And I'm reminded of some of the individuals in the Old Testament that were told about the destruction that was going to come to Israel or to Judah. And they would be spared that they would not see it in their lifetime. And you might look at death in a case like that where they were spared the agony of seeing what was going to happen to their people and that God had blessed them in that area. And certainly I think that we can look at death as something that is good. That is something that is a blessing for the Christian. For the person that is prepared to stand before God on that great day. Because we understand that Jesus died so that we don't have to be afraid of death. That we can look forward to that day because we know of the promises that are there. But many times we hear people say things of this nature that when someone dies, we know that they're in a better place, that they're in heaven. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Pretty much we could call it the timing of events. What takes place in the hereafter? What takes place when we die? Certainly we know that the Bible teaches us that heaven awaits those who are faithful and hell awaits those who are evil and who not, do not listen to the instructions that God gives. But is that going to happen? Are we going to immediately to heaven or immediately to hell when we die? Are we judged immediately after we die? Well, I believe that there's a certain day that the Bible talks about that we're all going to be judged. And so, when we look at certain passages of Scripture, we realize that the Scripture teaches us that our award awaits us in that last day, on that great judgment day. But what takes place in between? How can anyone be in heaven or hell before the judgment? How can the judgment take place before the resurrection? Or how can the resurrection occur before the Lord's return? 
And certainly I believe that the Bible helps us to understand some of those things. Daniel was told in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 13 that he would die and that later he would receive his inheritance. We find in the New Testament that Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5, Blessed be the Lord and blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so I think that there's an insight right there that shows us that heaven is something that's going to take place for us, those that are faithful, in the end, there at the end, at that final judgment. But what takes place prior to that? Well, let's look at some other passages of the Scripture because I think that that will help us to see. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 or 8-7, through 7, the Apostle Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. We will receive our crown at the day of judgment when Jesus returns. That's when that final judgment, the ultimate judgment, will take place. John chapter 3, verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of God which is in heaven. So no man, as the Scripture tells us, has ascended into heaven at this point. And so where are those that are dead? Well, I want us to consider some passages of Scripture. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, Jesus was hanging on the cross. And you know the situation. The thief on the cross was next to Him. And He made the statement, Today thou shalt be with Me in paradise. I believe that the Scripture teaches us that there is a place that's not called the place of disembodied spirits, but it's a place where those that die go to. And it's not a waiting place where things are going to change, but it's a place that we go, which is the Hadean world. We don't have a physical body, but our spirit has returned to God. And we'll look at a story that Jesus tells us that will help us to understand what He's talking about. In John chapter 20 and verse 17, it says, Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended unto my Father, but I go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. At that particular moment, Jesus had not ascended to heaven, but we know that eventually He did and that He is at the right hand of God where He's ruling and reigning over the kingdom, His kingdom right now. And so there is this place of paradise, but I don't believe that that is heaven. That is not the literal place that we're going to end up on the final day of judgment. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto the judgment. They're in a place where they're suffering. But at the final judgment, they're going to be cast away. Verse 9, 
of that same chapter, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Those that have passed from this life that have been wicked and evil were not faithful members of the Lord's church, weren't part of His kingdom, are going, or have, they don't have anything really to look forward to. But they're not in comfort right now. I've had people that will ask me, uh, had phone calls from people, sometimes strangers, that want to know, do you believe that the soul sleeps? That when we die, then we go into the grave, our body goes into the grave, does our soul go there also and does it sleep? I don't believe that the Bible teaches us that that's what takes place. This body goes into that grave, but our spirit returns to God. And someday, on the day that the Lord returns, this body that's in that grave is going to come forth. It's going to rise up. Now, as I said earlier, there are many things that I don't understand how it's going to take place. I don't understand how someone has been thrown in the ocean and they've died or they've, they're dead there and they've gone to the bottom and they've decayed and things have happened to their bodies. How that's all going to be put back together. But it's going to be put back together. It's going to come forth out of that ocean. It's going to come forth out of the ground. It's going to come forth wherever it's at and be reunited with that soul. And it's going to be changed. What will it be like? I don't know what it's going to be like, but I do know that we're going to be like Christ. And so, whatever He's like is what we're going to be like. But the wicked have a place reserved for them. And they're in a place where they're not comfortable. They're in a place of punishment. Those that are faithful are in a place where they are comforted. And they're awaiting that final judgment. So if you have your Bible... Turn with me over to Luke, the 16th chapter. In Luke, the 16th chapter, we find there Jesus talking about some individuals. There are some that believe that this is a parable. I'm not one of those that believe that it's a parable. I believe that it is something that uh, literally took place because Jesus, in this particular case, uses names. And in most in His other parables, there's no mention of names. There's no mention of time. And here we see that there are, different, or there are things that I think show us that it's possible that this could be true. If you want to believe it's a parable, then that's fine. I'm not going to argue with you or arm wrestle you for the, to determine determine what's going to happen. <clears throat> but <clears throat> that's what I think. But let's read that event there that Jesus is talking about, beginning in verse 19. And there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple <clears throat> and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame." But Abraham says, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. 
And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass unto us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him into my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. When we look at this particular case, I think that there are some things that we find that are very true. And I think that there's things that we can learn from this uh, situation that will help us to understand what happens when someone dies. Because in this particular case, we find two individuals that died, a rich man and Lazarus. We see where the rich man lifts up his eyes in Hades or hell. King James says hell, but uh, we know that that's the place that we're talking about, uh, the place of disembodied spirits. But he's tormented where he's at. And we see that Lazarus is is comforted in Abraham's bosom. So in those two places we find, or in that place we find two things, punishment and comfort. Which one do you want to be in? We see that this place is called hell according to the King James Version. I believe that it would be better to translate that as the American Standard does and the New King James does uh, by calling it Hades. That it's not the final resting place, but it's the place of disembodied spirits where people go and await the final judgment. And then there are, we see that there are two compartments there. Look at verses 22 and 23. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So there we see two compartments of this area, of this realm. We see that it contains a place of punishment and a place of comfort. We want to be in that place of comfort if we're a Christian because that means that we're faithful. And that's really the promise that we have that when we live a faithful life that we're going to rest from our labors because we realize that's what the Bible teaches. And that we are comforted because we know that heaven is ultimately our goal. It's our home. And if you wake up in comfort, if you're there in that comforting place, then guess what? Heaven is going to be your final destination. You're not going to change if you wake up in torment like the rich man did. You're not going to change and end up in heaven. Your fate has been sealed by the life that you lived while you're here on this earth. In verse 24, we see that there's communication that takes place. Verse 24 says, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. They're talking. We see that they are that they realize the pain that they're in. Many times I hear people try to explain that hell is just a, a total annihilation. If it was a total annihilation, that would be great. Because if I ended up there, I would want to be totally annihilated. I would want it to end at some point. But the Bible does not teach us that the final resting place for the wicked is going to end or cease. It is something that is going to go on forever and ever. 
Just like heaven is a place we want to go and it's going to go on forever and ever. But we see that there's communication. Now obviously, He could see Abraham afar off. And there is a consciousness there in that place. Again, He realized that He needed comfort. And I can't imagine a place that's so, so uh, torturous that a drop of water would be of comfort. So think about that. If that's a place that you're going to end up, it's not a place of comfort. There's not, a, not an ounce of comfort in that place. If one drop of water... You think about that. On a hot day, you've gone out, you've worked in the sun, and you want something to drink, and you get one little drop. What's that going to do for you? I don't know about you, but it's not going to do much for me. But that's what he wanted. It's just a drop of water to cool his tongue. We also see that there was recognition. In verse 24, it says, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. He remembered who Lazarus was, even in that state. Sometimes we look out and we say, how can we be comforted if our loved one isn't in heaven? If our loved one isn't in this place of comfort that we're talking about tonight. Sometimes I'm not sure we realize how important our relationship is with God. That when we stand before the judgment, it's going to be between me and God. I'm not going to have my allies or my posse there helping me to plead my case. The judgment is going to be on me. And it will be on you when it's your turn. And we're going to give an account of our life. And we're going to recognize people. I believe that we'll recognize people even when we get to our final destination. If not, as I've said before, I don't know how we would know we were sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How would I know I was resting from my labor? if I could not remember what I had done in this life. It seems very apparent that in the life after, that in this situation that Abraham and Lazarus both were aware of who was there. And they're aware of what they should have been doing while they were here on this earth. Verse 25 and 26, And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. There is no second chance. I know that there are some religious organizations that are out there that believe that once you die that somebody here on this earth can do something for you to get you out of that place if you're in a lost state. The Bible doesn't teach that. 
The Bible teaches us that we're accountable for ourselves. We're going to answer for our deeds, for the things that we've done, whether they're good or bad. It all will be exposed. And so if we die lost, we're going to remain lost. If we die saved, we're going to remain saved. But may I remind us all that saved will be defined by God, not by me, and not by you. And this book, if we believe what this book teaches, tells us what we need to do to be saved. I don't believe God's going to change the message on the Day of Judgment. I believe that we're going to be judged by this Word, the Word of God. And in fact, the ultimate Word will be there, which is Jesus Christ Himself. Nothing will be hid from Him. Could you imagine going before someone today, going before a judge here on this earth, and standing before Him and He could read your mind? He knew your thoughts. He knew your motives. He knew everything about you. You couldn't excuse anything. Couldn't cover up anything because they know. At the final judgment day, there will be nothing hidden from God. And so we understand the fact that we're not going to work for a particular company, say GM, and get a retirement from Ford Motor Company. You're going to get a retirement from who you work for. And the same is true in this life. You serve God and you're faithful to Him according to His standard, then we're going to have heaven as our home. There is remembrance, as we see in verses 27 and 28. It says, And then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. We see that there was remembrance. He remembered his loved ones here on this earth, and he was concerned for them. He did not want to see them. And I tell people that sometimes when they, they want to know. I tell them, look at this, what it, what it says here. I can't tell you whether your loved one's lost or saved. They know, you know, they, and it's obvious whether they did what the Bible teaches, and if they didn't, then the answer is they're lost. I get no pleasure in telling anyone that. But the truth is the truth, and if they're lost, guess what? They don't want you to go where they're at. They don't want you there. They want you to change. And as much as we may love them, as much as we may have cared for them, the fact of the matter is they don't want you to come where they're at if they're lost. Those are some of the things that we can learn from the event that Jesus is talking about there in Luke the 16th chapter. Those who die before the return of Christ will await their return in the Hadean world, the place of disembodied spirits, either in paradise where it's comforting or in Hades where there's torment. When Jesus returns, He will bring with Him those that have died 
and they will be resurrected from their graves. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, <clears throat> that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Death hurts. Death is something that we despise. When it comes to our families and to our loved ones, it hurts. Because we know what that means that we're not going to see them in this life anymore. As I said, we look at it from a selfish point of view. What I don't have. What I'm going to miss. What I want. But if they're faithful, they are better off than any one of us. And there were some that were concerned that if those had died and missed the return of Christ, they were just in a bad situation. And Paul says that's not the case. Those that are dead are going to come forth out of the grave. And they're going to be reunited with that soul. John chapter 5 Verses 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And so everyone is going to come forth out of the grave. It says there, what did Jesus say? All that are in the graves shall hear His voice. And it's implied in that passage of Scripture, and it shall come forth, and they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So it's not just the righteous that's going to come forth out of the grave, the unrighteous are going to come forth out of the grave also. So you're not going to miss it. It's going to affect every single one of us and every person on this planet that has ever lived. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, we find those that are alive when Jesus returns will be changed. The Bible says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Beginning of verse 51 of 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. You understand how that's going to take place? If you do, explain it to me in the back. But it's going to happen. Following the resurrection, all mankind will be judged and sentenced. In Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, we see a picture of the judgment. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whom's voice the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were all, and they were judged every man according to their works. 
And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Very descriptive picture that we can see there of the final judgment. Do you find any exceptions in there where anyone's going to miss out on it? There's no place on this planet we can hide. But as a Christian, we don't want to hide. We look forward to that day. We should look forward to that day. It should be a day of rejoicing because we know our Lord has returned. Our faith has been realized and we're going to receive our just reward. So death isn't something that's bad for the Christian. It may be bad for us that remain behind. But even in that case, notice what Paul said about those who have no hope. We are sorrowful, but not like those that have no hope. And I think that we can understand that when you see someone that dies and they don't know God. They don't know Christ. They have nothing to be comforted in. I heard someone say just the other day, at a funeral. <clears throat> it was the preacher who said he was asked to do a funeral but not to use any Scripture. That would be very hard to do. I couldn't give much hope without Scripture. I don't know if I could give any hope without Scripture. Because our hope is built upon God. His Word. His promises. So let us all strive to live our lives so that we're found faithful. Trust what God's Word says. Don't try to get around it. Find some loophole. Because the Bible, while it reveals much about life and death, there are still many questions that remain unanswered. However, what is revealed is enough to give us comfort and hope so that we need not fear what lies beyond the grave. We can look forward to it, knowing like the Apostle Paul that there's a crown of righteousness laid up for us. So tonight, if you're not a Christian, you need to get on that right road. You need to become a child of His. And Jesus tells us what we need to do. He tells us that we need to believe that He is the Son of God. So if you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. So we have to believe that He is who He claimed to be. He tells us that we must repent of our sins. Turn away from those things. Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5, I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We have to confess His name before men. And I don't believe that that's something that we just do on a day that we obey the Gospel, that we're buried with our Lord in baptism, but I think that that's something that we do quite often. 
If we say that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and sometimes we have to say that more than once, because people out there in the world need to hear that we do believe that. But we are to make that great confession, and we see an example of that in Acts chapter 8. And then Jesus tells us that we are to be baptized. And that baptism is a water baptism. Because we see example after example in Acts where they went down into the water and they were baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch says, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Why did he say that? So I mentioned in the sermon, I think it was last Sunday, about Peter. When he preached on the day of Pentecost, what did he say? He talked about those calling upon the name of the Lord, that that had been prophesied by the prophet Joel. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But on the, when they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? What did he say? Invite Jesus into your heart? No. Pray this prayer? No. Did he not know what calling on the name of the Lord meant? Because he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin. You want to have your sins washed away, then you have to do what Jesus says do. And remember that Jesus is the one that's going to be our judge. So don't make excuses to try to get around it or justify why you don't want to do it or you don't think that you need to do it. It's just as simple. Jesus said it. Trust Him. And we see the picture of what it is in Romans chapter 6 that represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our old man goes down in that water and we come up out of that water a new creature, a new person. Our sins washed away by His blood. And then He expects us to live a faithful life while we're here on this earth. We see passage after passage, example after example, story after story about why we need to be faithful. But he tells, we're told in Revelation 2 and verse 10, the last part of that verse, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So even if it costs you your life, which some of them paid that price with their life, even if it costs you your life, be faithful to Him. So tonight, if you're not a Christian, we would encourage you, beg you to become a child of His tonight. Don't wait till it's too late because we know what's in store for those who are lost. And if you are a Christian and you haven't lived as you should, you're not faithful, then I'd encourage you to change. You have that opportunity to come and have a seat on the front row while together we stand and sing.